I'm throwing these kids in the garbage. Wouldn't even one of these women allow us to take her baby home and care for her as our own? Uh, but of course, that's not the way it usually works. And those were the first doubts that I had. In anticipation of the United States Supreme Court overturning Roe versus Wade, Joe Biden has just decreed abortion by mail legal with no consultation with an abortionist even necessary. American bathrooms are now officially been converted into abortion clinics and toilets into waste disposals for human body parts. Today, you'll hear from a former abortionist on this development and get your marching orders on how to stop the carnage. Activist Radio, The Mark Harrington Show, is brought to you by Created Equal, and you can support the ministry and the radio program by going to createdequal.org. So today I have as my guest Dr. Anthony Levitino, and he's an obstetrician gynecologist and formerly served as a professor, and he was the director of the student and residency program at Albany Medical Center, and Dr. Levitino is a former abortionist and now is pro-life. He performed over 1,000 abortions and now travels the country and speaks to pro-life audiences about his experience as an abortionist. Dr. Levitino, thanks for being on the program today. Happy to see you again, Mark. So let's jump right in here. We have a very short time with you, but I want to uh, just, just get into your testimony, first of all. Uh, the, the question I have and something I've always wondered about abortionists in, in your past life, if you will, before you stop doing that, uh, is why did you start doing abortions in the first place? Um, you know, a lot of people identify themselves as pro-life or pro-choice, but it, it doesn't necessarily affect their lives directly. Mm -hmm. But when you're an obstetrician gynecologist and you say you're pro-choice like I was, then it's not just some vague political position. You have to decide whether you're going to actually do abortions or not. Right. So along in my training program as an obstetrician gynecologist, along with learning to do deliveries, hysterectomies, and all the other things we do, I learned to do abortions, and that's how I got involved. So as you were in your residency, you're being trained uh, to be an OBGYN, you were doing abortions. Uh, at that time, did, you ever, did it ever occur to you that what you were doing was, you know, a problem or did, when, when did you start having any doubts about what you were doing? Because eventually you stopped performing abortions. I kind of like to know what what was the process that which you went through to eventually stop doing them altogether? When was the first time you had a doubt about what you were doing? My wife and I had met and married when I was in my first year of training, and uh, we found out pretty obvious, uh, pretty early on we were on opposite sides of the issue, which had its own difficulties. Mm, uh, but we married and wanted to start a family of our own and found out pretty quickly that we had an infertility problem. We just weren't getting pregnant. Um, so after an extensive workup, it was determined that it was very unlikely that we would be able to have children of our own. And we tried to adopt a child. And anyone who's adopt, tried to adopt a, a baby knows how difficult that is. Mm -hmm. uh, we went to religious agencies, state agencies, county agencies, everywhere we could. And the best we could do after months of effort was to get on a five-year waiting list to get on the actual waiting list. Mm -hmm. um, it was then that I had my first doubts about abortion. They were strictly selfish. 
I'm not an idiot. I know one reason why there are so few babies to adopt were people like me doing abortions. Uh, but it, it, that's when I certainly had my first doubts about it. I was you know, thinking here I am trying to adopt a child, yet I'm doing abortions on a regular basis and thinking literally, I'm throwing these kids in the garbage. Wouldn't even one of these women allow us to take her baby home and care for our, as our own? Uh, but of course, that's not the way it usually works. And those were the first doubts that I had. So this was after medical school where you were actually practicing as an OBGYN. You were in a practice. You were actually out of school, right? I was still in my residency program at that point. Oh, okay. I was still in my residency program at that point. And um we were very fortunate, uh, ultimately, in that we were able to adopt a little girl that we named Heather uh, in uh, August of 1978. And as occasionally happens, after all the effort of trying to have a baby of our own, we adopted a child. My wife did become pregnant the very next month, and we had two children 10 months apart. I see. So take us through this. What eventually changed your mind from becoming an abortion doctor who had performed 1,200 or so abortions to someone who stopped doing that and now is a strong pro-life advocate and speaking out on behalf of the unborn. That's a you know kind of a crazy transition or conversion. Uh, not many people go through that in their lives. What was it that changed your mind on performing abortions? Would it be appropriate for me to describe a second trimester? Certainly. Abortion? course. Because, and I do this at presentations, and it's not just to be spectacular. If you don't understand what it's like to do one, mm -hmm. then it doesn't make a lot of sense why you quit. Um, imagine, a, you know, a baby 20 weeks pregnant, you know, a woman comes in 20 weeks pregnant, her baby from head to rump is the length of your hand from middle finger to wrist, about seven inches long. And to do a second trimester abortion at that stage, you have to literally tear that baby limb from limb, literally. Yes. Um, this is a sofa clamp. It's a, it's the instrument that I used for years. It's 13 inches long. It's stainless steel. The business end is two and a half inches long and a half inch wide. There are rows of teeth on this instrument. And when it gets a hold of something, it does not let go. Uh, the way I used to do DNA abortions, it was a blind procedure. And I, and I tell people, I mean, picture yourself taking a clamp like this, putting up in the uterus, be careful not to perforate it. It's very easy. Mm -hmm. um, grasp blindly and then pull hard. And I mean hard and out pops a leg about this big, which you put down on the table next to you. And then go in with this clamp again and grab and pull hard. And out comes an arm the same length, which you put down on the table next to you. And then use this clamp again and again to tear out the spine, the intestines, the heart and lungs. Head on a baby that size is about the size of a plum. They can't see it, again, unless you're using an ultrasound, and I didn't. Uh, but you're pretty sure you got it if your instrument's around something, your fingers are spread as far as they will go. You know you did it right if you crush down in the instrument and white material runs out of the cervix. That was the baby's brains. Then you can pull out skull pieces, and sometimes a little face comes back and stares back at you. That's what doing a second trimester DNA abortion is like. And even the earlier abortions, um, you, you, you know, when you're done with any abortion, any surgical abortion, you have to keep inventory. You have to make sure that you get two arms, two legs, and all the pieces. Because if you don't, your patient will come back infected, bleeding, or dead. So in that backdrop, and knowing, and, and I know it's hard to even, comp for most people to comprehend even yeah. doing that once. I did it over 1,200 times in my career. Um, 
in August of, in, excuse me, on June 23rd, 1984, my daughter, my adopted daughter, Heather, was exactly, exactly two months away from her sixth birthday. Our son, Sean, was just a few days away from his fifth birthday. It was a Saturday, a beautiful day in Albany, New York, where we lived. Um, I was on call, but it wasn't too busy. I made rounds and we got to spend the rest of the day together. Took the kids to an amusement park, had dinner together. And then that evening we were talking with friends who had come over for cake and coffee when we heard the screech of brakes out in front of our house. Mm. The kids had gone out in the road and Heather had been hit by a car. She was a mess. Um, mm. You know, I'm a doctor. I'm supposed to be able to save people's lives. Right. My wife was an intensive care nurse. But it made absolutely no difference, and she literally died in our arms in the back of an ambulance that night. Now, if someone listening has kids, you may have some idea of what it's, you know, what it's like to lose a child. Unless you've done this yourself, you have no idea. I hope you never find out. Mm -hmm. What do you do after a disaster? You know, you bury your child, you take some time off, and then you try to get back into your life. And I don't know how long it was after her death, but I showed up at OR number nine at Albany Medical Center, just like I had over a hundred times before for a second trimester d &E abortion. I wasn't thinking of this as anything special. This was routine and I had other things on my mind. And I reached in with that sofa clamp and I tore out an arm or a leg and I got sick. Mm -hmm. um, but as I said, once you start an abortion, you can't stop. You have to finish the procedure and I did. And in the process of looking at those body parts, like I had over a hundred times before in second, you know, late trimester, you know, later second trimester abortions, you know, I didn't see her wonderful right to choose. And I, I didn't see what a great doctor I was. And I didn't see the over $2,000 I just made in 15 minutes. Uh, all I could see was somebody's son or daughter. And it occurred to me in that moment that this person had come to me figuratively, never literally, but had come to me and said, at the time it was $800 in, in the mid eighties. Now that's equivalent to over $2,000 today. And somebody had said, here's $800, kill my son or daughter. And I was the kind of person that would look her right in the eye and with no compunction at all say, sure, I'll do that. And that's what set up what eventually became my exit from the abortion, you know, the abortion industry. My guest today is Dr. Anthony Levitino. And to find out more, folks, you can go to Live Action's website. And the website address is abortionprocedures.com. Uh, Dr. Levitino is interviewed by Lila Rose. There's several interviews there. Also, he uh, has a couple of uh, videos in which he actually describes first, second, and third trimester abortions as well as uh, abortion pill abortions, that is medical abortions. So again, that's abortionprocedures.com. My guest is Dr. Anthony Levitino. Uh, Dr. Levitino, that tragic, um, the loss of your, your daughter, um, I can't imagine what that was like, but it did lead to eventually you quitting um, the abortion industry and, and no longer performing abortions. It didn't happen right away, though, after that one abortion, apparently, right? I mean, you stopped doing second trimester abortions. You told your uh, other partners that you'd only do first trimester abortions. How long did it take before you walked out altogether or stopped doing them altogether? Yeah, I, I you know, I didn't quit right away for sure. Um, right. I, I knew why I felt bad. I'll get over this. Um, but once, you know, 
over the over the next few months, it was extremely difficult for my wife and I, obviously. And as I said, we were on opposite sides of the issue, but never talked about it. Mm. And what ultimately happened, she almost left. Um, mm. And we we finally got into a tooth and nail discussion about abortion. And that's it. That was several months after uh, at least two months after Heather had died. And I went to my partners and said I would no longer do any more second trimester abortions. I would just do the little ones. And I soldiered on doing first trimester abortions, suction DNC abortions in the office until February of 1985. It was that long. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I tell people, you know, you, th- you think of doctors as so smart, but when you finally figure out that killing a big baby this big for money is wrong, it doesn't take you too long to figure out it doesn't matter if the baby is this big or this big or even this big, it's all the same. And as I always remind people when, when I speak with them, especially students, you know, today it's so easy to talk about someone else's life, just like it's so easy to say in this day and age, oh, tax those rich people. Um, you know, when, they're, right. when, they, when they've spent all the rich people's money, trust me, they're coming for you. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so easy to talk about someone's life. Today, you're an adult. Once you were a child, you didn't look anything like you do today. Once you were a baby, once you were this big, but it was always you. Right. So right. it was February of 1985 when I finally walked away from it entirely. Well, we're glad you did. Obviously, I'm sure you are as well, because now you're being used by the Lord to uh, talk about your experience and hopefully lead others to do the same thing, quit the abortion industry. And obviously, you're educating millions of Americans on what abortion actually does to an unborn baby. Uh, These videos that are on Live Action's website have been viewed millions of times across the country. They're animated. uh, they're, They're medically accurate. They're hugely effective, and we use them as well. Uh, Let me transition, if you don't mind, Dr. Levitino. I'd like to talk about your experience as an abortion doctor and your interactions, I guess, with pro-life activists. From what I understand, you weren't picketed very often. No one ever, you know, outed you, so to speak, by going to your home or any of that kind of stuff, although those tactics were used and still are used a little bit today by certain pro-life activists. But you did have some encounters with pro-lifers. What was your general experience with them uh, as a rule? I know they did come to your practice at least once or twice. Uh, You know, from our perspective, I say as a pro-life activist who does sidewalk counseling, does picketing in abortion centers, we often wonder what the impact is to those who work in the abortion industry to our outreach. Did it affect you at all or, or just explain what happened there a little bit? Well, people, the, 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 the story on that is, uh, you know, in 1983, for instance, I arrived at my office, I was still doing abortions, and we were being picketed by a local Christian group. And people ask all the time, you know, what, what's it like when we're picketing? What are you thinking? Right. And I was thinking, I'll tell you, I mean, it's, it's us against you kooks outside. It gives you a siege mm. mentality when you're an abortionist and somebody's throwing a spotlight on you like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that was my vision of pro-life people. I mean, you know, everyone, you see, you know, as I, as I tell groups, you know, everyone in the abortion industry knows that every pro-lifer is kook. I mean, CNN tells me so. They would never lie right. to me. Right. Um, and, um, but it was, you know, it was through a patient who yeah. cared enough to come in and, and, and deliver a Christian message. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the patient showed up right around that same time 
And when she was done with her, she was a new patient. When she was done with a routine exam, she looked at me and said, I've been sent here to give you a message that Jesus loves you. He cares about you. This is not what he had intended for your life to be an abortionist. Please stop. Awesome. And, you know, I had one overwhelming thought when she did this. And I would say, I've got to hustle this kook out of my office as fast as I could. And I did. Um, a year later, she showed up and, and delivered exactly the same message. Um, it, understand something. It's not like my wife and I never darkened the inside of a church, but people that are very demonstrative about their faith always made me uncomfortable. Um, and, and in the intervening year, I, I knew what she was going to say that second time because I remembered what she had said. And in the intervening year, she had sent me at least three personal greeting cards with that message written on the card. And one time during the intervening year, I arrived in my office and there was a plate of brownies on the desk with the message tied to the brownies. Mm -hmm. So this is my message, I guess, to people that, that I know that pro-life people really care. But standing right. outside and yelling murderer at somebody isn't going to change their mind. Um, you need to develop a relationship with them. You know, and it's interesting because I watched the movie Unplanned again recently. Mm -hmm. And and they were showing the, the people from uh, 40 Days for Life. Right. And their approach was a personal one. They got to mm -hmm. know the people involved. Mm -hmm. You're never going to change someone's mind unless you can talk with them and develop some kind of relationship. And one relationship, believe me, that matters is that of physician and patient. Physicians listen to their patients. Yeah. And a lot of times uh, patients will stop you know, uh, using the OBGYN if they are an abortionist. And in this case, she did not do that. She stayed with you as her doctor and was, you know, that relationship was at least in part responsible for you at least re rethinking your position Absolutely. on abortion. So Dr. Levitino, we, in the time we have left, I really want to jump to some current news. As you well know, the FDA has now approved the abortion pill. Um, being dispensed without a in-person meeting with the physician. And now the abortion pill can be sent by mail. If you would, I mean, we haven't talked about pill abortions too much, but uh, if you would, please tell us what what is a pill abortion in the minutes we have left here real quickly and what you think this does to the whole uh, battle over abortion. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be, we, we live in interesting times. Yeah. Um, we don't even know if Roe v. Wade is going to survive this, this court session. I was in front of the court on, on December 1st. Mm -hmm. In a pill abortion, a, a woman takes RU-486, an RU-486 pill, and then 24 to 48 hours takes a second drug uh, called Cytotec to induce contractions. Um, this can cause, it will cause bleeding. It, will, it can cause severe cramping. Uh, again, if you want an idea of what, you know, what an abortion pill abortion is like, watch the movie Unplanned. and You will see mm -hmm. Abby Johnson's, uh, right. uh, her experience with a pill abortion that she had. Um, the idea of giving these, and, and, and the big thing now is access. We have, to, we have to keep access up, and this will only intensify if Roe v. Wade gets overturned. And I don't know if it will. We'll see. Right. Um, but there's a, a strict contraindication to the use of medical abortion. And that is you never do a medical abortion on someone with an ectopic or tubal pregnancy. And this is not an uncommon condition because we have so many STDs damaging so many reproductive organs, uteruses, and especially fallopian tubes, that ectopic pregnancies are relatively common. We see them regularly in practice. And women have died taking the abortion pill with undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies. The other problem is 
you have to know her blood type. And if she's RH negative and she has a pill abortion, she could get sensitized to RH factor, and this can affect her future pregnancies. Yet, no problem with the FDA, full steam ahead. We're going to hand these out by mail. Uh, I think this is incredibly dangerous. My guest has been Dr. Anthony Levitino. He's an OBGYN and a former abortionist that performed over 1,200 abortions and now speaks out against the procedure that he was once part of um, performing. And so we appreciate Dr. Revitino. Thanks for being on the program today. My pleasure, Mark. God bless you. So friends, I want you to take action after listening to Dr. Anthony Levitino. I hope you're motivated to do more to stop the killing of the unborn. And, uh, you know, he described what an abortion uh, entails, what's involved in an abortion in detail. And I hope that you no longer can sit back and do nothing. So I'm asking you to take action. The first thing you can do is to show abortion yourself. In other words, you can use the, the, the uh, materials, the resources of the organization that I head up, and that is Created Equal, to take these to the streets. Uh, on our website at createdequal.org, we have a store. You can go to that store. You can order your own signs and take them to the city streets, to the sidewalks, or to the local abortion center to reach women and men who are going in to kill, uh, kill babies. So you can pick up your own uh, pro-life sign at createdequal.org store. Also, we have drop cards. These are just like business size cards that you can purchase as well. And we also have brochures and other resources that you can pick up by going to that website. Now, also, if you give us a donation of $25, that is, if you go to createdequal.org slash donate and donate 50, or I'm sorry, $25, we will send you uh, a packet of drop cards, brochures, uh, a wristband, a pen, uh, that you can uh, then share the pro-life message with people who don't agree with you. In other words, there's ways of using these by handing them out. I often put the drop cards in the in the credit card slider at the gas station or just drop them here and there. Uh, the brochures are hugely helpful in convincing people to oppose abortion. We'll send you a packet of information if you go to createdequal.org slash donate and send us $25. Just make sure you write in the uh, little comment section there that you want the packet of re resources that you heard on the Mark Harrington show. So that's the first thing. Show abortion. Uh, by you know, Dr. Levitino talked about the procedure, and, uh, and we need people to understand. It was the thing that convinced him eventually to not kill babies, the fact that he actually come to grips with what he was doing when he saw the body parts. So I think it's important that we show the truth about abortion, and you can get those resources by going to createdequal.org slash donate and send us $25, and we'll send you a packet of, of, of resources from our organization. Finally, Laura, uh, folks, I just want to make clear that it's important that we use abortion victim photography and video in pro-life activism. There are very few organizations that will do what we do. We do it because it works. We do it because historically social reformers have always used 
graphic images to make their point. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said this in the letter from the Birmingham jail. He said that nonviolent direct action seeks to create such a crisis and fosters such a tension that a community which has constantly refused to negotiate is forced to confront the issue. It seeks to dramatize the issue so that no, no one can ignore it again. Dr. King talked about creating tension in order to get people to think, and that's what we do using abortion victim photography and video. Historical social reformers have done it throughout the ages, whether it comes to child labor, whether it comes to animal rights, whether it comes to anti-war movements, whether it be Vietnam or some of the other wars that America's been involved in. When it comes to genocide, who can forget the pictures of the Holocaust? Uh, one particular one was taken by the U.S. Army. Dwight David Eisenhower uh, commissioned the U.S. Army to take photographs of the death camps to make sure that people understood that this should never happen again. We see that with smoking ads nowadays. The FDA and CDC are actually putting graphic images on cigarette packs. And then, of course, two summers ago, the, the uh, civil unrest that was in response to the killing of George Floyd gripped America. Again and again and again, these images are used to change public opinion on injustice, and they are very helpful in changing people's minds on abortion. So if you want to get a hold of these resources, you can go to uh, createdequal.org and check out our store. Uh, we'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember, America, to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to markharringtonshow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.